Alright, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to the Peddling Fiction Podcast, a very special interview edition. But first, you're just stuck with me, your uh, host and fearless leader, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita and Justin Hillbilly Boy Campbell. We do have a guest to bring on momentarily. But um, just a couple of quick announcements. I'm not exactly sure when this episode's going to be airing. So I will just <laughs> repeat a couple of things that I already um, recorded today, just in case people miss an episode here or there. There is not going to be a super spreader episode, uh, super spreader event in December. I've decided to cancel it for this year. We're going to push it either to the middle of next year or to December of next year, so stay tuned for that. Uh, just too many, um, too many problems, uh, both logistically and uh, just finding venues out here and dealing with the local businesses, and then just uh, a lot of personal stuff has been getting in the way lately, and we are just way too far behind schedule. So I'm axing that, and uh, that that might be the only thing I need to talk about. Justin, anything before we uh, we bring Alexander on? Oh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, if there is anything, I'm sure okay. we'll catch it. That's some, they'll catch it on another episode. We we tend to repeat ourselves. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess that is absolutely true. Well, so we, we have a guest on today. She is the author of 11 books, but one in particular that really sort of caught my eye. is uh, It's called the Mind, the Mind Under Siege, Mechanisms of War Propaganda. And, you know, I'm going to let her explain sort of everything. She can shed some light on this and teach us that she talks about in this book. I am just, uh, as you guys know, uh, actually the tagline for this podcast originally was inoculating you against propaganda, which is an ongoing battle. But I'm hoping that Alexandra Kidd a few things to help us wage this war against the state and the biggest fucking propaganda uh, campaign that we all just endured uh, that I've, you know, I can in recent memory for sure, definitely in my lifetime uh, that we all just went through with all of the uh, crazy COVID stuff and all of that. So without further ado, let's uh, welcome Alexandra to the show. Alexandra, thanks for coming on. You are uh, on with me, the host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction and uh, Justin, Hillbilly boy Campbell, fresh out of traffic. He's put the goat and the dogs and the kids away. Not necessarily in that order, but uh, I'm very excited to have you on. It's a topic that I find personally fascinating. I I first kind of got into psychology and just sort of the way that uh, people make decisions 
when I got into finance, I, I was doing trading and the, the psychology of trading was really screwing with me. And, and, and so I, I kind of, that's sort of where my starting off point was. And then I went down this other rabbit hole with propaganda and just the, the whole political angle of it, I guess, is, is sort of what we're obsessed with on this podcast. But tell us a little so bit about yourself and how, how you got into all this and what it is you do. This, uh, mess was I was a psychology student. I was studying experimental psychology in the early 1990s in, in Canada at McMaster University. And my undergraduate thesis was actually psychoacoustics. And what it was was how do we how our perceptions of reality differ from reality. And in my final year, in my final semester, I decided, uh, I noticed uh, things in journalism that weren't uh, very, uh, they weren't truthful. And I would find the original press releases and say, okay, uh, you got this information from a press release. And I started getting uh, more and more interested. And I learned about all sorts of things like the FARA, the Foreign uh, Agents Registry Act and how easy it is to uh, market war and market other things. And I studied different people uh, with their theories of journalism and communications, and I've always found something wanting. It wasn't aligning with what I was finding. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to become a journalist in order to conduct empirical studies on the profession to see where were the vulnerabilities what went wrong, and what could be done to improve it. So I became a journalist, and I literally conducted hundreds of studies working as a journalist, so my paycheck came from there, using my psych degree, because I always thought journalism was applied psychology. And then when I was finished my experiments, which was about a decade later, came my first book, uh, Don't Believe It, How Lies Become News, showing news consumers how they can read information or watch it, and look for misinformation, uh, propaganda, lies, hoaxes, deceptions. And then it just kind of, I thought that was going to be the last book I write about the topic. And here we are in 2022, and I'm still writing uh, different books about journalism, but also propaganda and mine under siege mechanisms of war propaganda. It was all about how propaganda hits our brain more than our mind. So I always used psychology with journalism, trying to figure out, okay, how does the, how do words uh, change the way we perceive things? How are emotions uh, tainted or uh, manipulated or our logic or our sense of survival? So that's how that started. So can you, in your kind of research and looking at this, can you kind of pinpoint a spot maybe in more recent history where propaganda and journalism have kind of started to mesh? Because like in modern culture, that's kind of what we see. Like most of what we get from mainstream media is for all, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's some degree of propaganda. Have you, have you found any point along the kind of the timeline where those things have started to uh, become one and the same? Well, I think one of the watershed moments of this was during the first Gulf War when we had a teenage girl named Nayara uh, recount uh, how Iraqi soldiers took babies out of the incubators and put them on the floor to die. And that became a rallying cry for war. 
And then only to find out later, well, uh, she was not this uh, uh, altruistic young girl who was volunteering during her vacation at a Kuwaiti hospital. Uh, she was uh, trained by Helen Knowlton to give the story that was patently not just untrue, it was ridiculous. I mean, how did these soldiers come in, storm this hospital, leave the adults who would be the bigger threat, uh, unharmed, uh, kill babies by gently putting them on the floor and removing them from incubators instead of just throwing them out? And why would they take incubators? Why didn't they take more important uh, hospital equipment that soldiers would need? And this was not challenged in the press uh, until one publisher from Harper's Magazine started to ask questions. So that's when you started to see this fusion. I mean, uh, there was a journalist who exposed it a little too late. But this is when you're starting to see uh, more and more of uh, a push to get journalists uh, to recite press releases instead of looking critically at information. And you have to understand journalism is not, uh, it's not an empirical science. Uh, they don't define their terms. They don't use empirical methods. Uh, it's very uh, haphazard. They won't tell you if they use a press release. There's no law saying that they have to disclose that they're using the publicist instead of an original source. So this is when we have uh, a profession that doesn't have to answer for its methods. And that's how people from the outside see it. And they go, okay, here's a vulnerability. I cannot make a reporter's job a lot easier, giving them a press release instead of them looking and turning over every rock, because it's a lot easier for a journalist to do that than, let's say, uh, get insulted and get upset trying to find information from a source that's too scared or too unwilling to speak. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, we're seeing, like, I've seen so much over the last... I don't know, 10 years or so, this just decline of journalism. They, they don't seem to have any standards. They've basically become, especially like the corporate press that you see on, on TV, you know, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, they're all just literally uh, propaganda wings of the federal government. You know, they're, they're carrying water for all of these politicians. And when you do see these so-called articles uh, on the internet or something like that from the so-called reputable sources that historically people have pointed to as a, a, a trusted source, they're coming, especially during the, the Trump years with just these anonymous sources, uh, you know, so uh, somebody close to um, so-and-so heard this or said that, or, or worse, they'll cite intelligence agencies, you know, the CIA, the NSA, as if these are the FBI, as if these are the arbiters of truth. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this, this story has been confirmed by 15 agents of the intelligence community or something like that. As if, oh, okay, we should just trust uh, the Gestapo of, of the U.S. To, to give us the truth. It's not like they've lied us into a, a bunch of endless wars or anything like that. Of course not. But if they're not citing unnamed intelligence agency people or something, you know, somebody from the deep state, it's just some other anonymous source. Somebody close to this event is telling me this, but it's all anonymous and, and none of it's backed up. And when you click on the links to these things, it, it's always just this circular thing where they just basically cite their own article that cites their own article that cites an anonymous source. Or so it just sends you down this rabbit hole of 
you know, they give you the illusion that they're they've they've got all these um these backed up sources and stories and everything like that. But it's really just they're they're just pointing to themselves over and over and over again. And when you when you lift up all of the bullshit, it, it's just a, an anonymous source at the end, if that. But back to the, your original point, like to to watch these people just take their marching orders from politicians, like the people that they're supposed to be watching over. And it's just so obvious because they all have the exact same phrases that they use, you know, like the walls are closing in on Trump or something. And you'll just hear every single news outlet rolling with the exact same, like verbatim, how not just the same story, but the same wording of the story. It's really creepy. Exactly. It's, um, you'll even see PR firms say, well, you know, uh, journalists come to us first and they, they brag about this. This is not, uh, this is sort of an open secret. If you know where to look, it's right out in the open. And except when you see the final product, you don't see any of that uh, sort of, uh, okay, we'll help each other and not ask, well, is that what journalism is supposed to be, where you take somebody's side uh, just because they give you a prepackaged uh, Attacking points. Absolutely. So uh, I, I do have to admit, I haven't read your books yet, but I, I do plan on, on reading at least a few of them. But are, are there any sort of um, classic classic signs that you're being propagandized, you know, like some red flags that people should look out for? That just like as soon as you see this thing happen, it can trigger something in your mind that's like, hey, I'm I'm being propagandized right now. That this is an intentional, and they're they're coming after my brain. There's lots of different signs. Uh, one of the best ways to understand is is there fear mongering in the piece? So if you're supposed to be made afraid, instead of find a solution on your own, that's the first red flag. So who gets, uh, you follow the money, who gets to uh, benefit financially from you being afraid? And then there's also people who believe in divide and conquer. So if you're supposed to hate another side, instead of trying to negotiate with them, again, who has the benefit? It won't be either of the bickering sides. It'll be a third party, which is classic Machiavelli. You get the two sides to slap each other silly until they can't slap anymore. You just waltz in refreshed and you pick up whatever the resources are and neither side's going to challenge you. So if you feel like your emotions are being manipulated and you feel helpless, that's the biggest sign that there's a red flag that that is not accurate. You know, people survive wars, people survive natural disasters, and they come out better and stronger. So if it's, well, uh, you're totally helpless, uh, you have to defer to somebody else. And that's another thing. If you're told to defer to an authority, then and instead of uh, relying on yourself, that's another red flag. If, uh, things are in this nice morality play. You know, uh, Bob didn't listen to uh, us, and then horrible things happened to Bob, and everybody else lived happily ever after because Bob was punished for being a bad boy. That's another sign. So if you're looking at morality plays, that's a red flag. Because life is not so simple. It's very random. You know, bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people as well. And if it's only a single point of view is accepted, if it's a monolithic thinking, you think a world of almost 8 billion people, 
And the solution is a single solution that's supposed to uh, solve everybody's problem equal. What, what sense does that make? Do you think somebody who's a, a billionaire solution is going to be the same one for somebody, let's say, uh, dying in a hospice? I mean, they're not going to have the same uh, reality. Their life requirements are different. So if it tries to say that organic plurality is wrong, that's a red flag. If you're trying, they're trying to make you scared or angry, that's another sign. So we start looking at those kind of signs first, then the follow the money signs. Once we start looking that way, very rationally, and most of it doesn't work. It's propaganda is very complex. Its solutions are very elegantly simple. One of the more fascinating approaches I think you take to propaganda in in your books, or at least uh, the one book that I was perusing, is, is the effect that propaganda has on your brain and how your brain is interpreting all, all, the, all of these messages that, that you're receiving. And I always remembered, you know, I used to listen, uh, listen to or read some, some people that were really good at influencing other people, usually for like sales copy and things like that. And they would talk about how our, we always make decisions emotionally just based purely on emotion and then we justify them rationally after the fact with logic so i'm wondering if is propaganda do they do they come after your uh, emotion from an emotional angle are they tugging at your heartstrings or are they using logic against us like how how does this affect the brain And, and how are they you know how are they manipulating our minds in order to propagandize us it is a bit of both. Our brains are basically, we can think of as three brains. Your primal self, your primal brain, which is all about survival or thriving, your emotional self that weighs facts, and your analytical brain that finds facts, weighs and inf- finds information. Propaganda divides your brain, splits it into three, and attacks each literacy differently. So atmosphere attacks your primal self. So your inner uh, cave person feels like there's a big threat and I can't help and I'm helpless. So you start to panic. There goes your prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that deals with memory, that deals with decision making, that deals with logic. And then your emotional self is looking for uh, something to grab through. And it's going to be tricked by narrative. Here's a story. You want to be moral, right? You want to do the good thing, right? Well, you have to follow this story. And then analytical self is tricked by sophistry, such as sink or swim. If you don't do this, uh, bad things will happen. Appeal to authority. Uh, Confirmation bias, where we only look for things that confirm our theory and not refute. The bandwagon effect, where if other people do it, then it has to be right. So we take all this bad logic. Because we're, you know, afraid. We look for hope in false stories of morality. And we panic because we think we're helpless. We're made to believe we're being cornered when we're not. This is how ridiculous propaganda is. If you sit there rationally think about most propaganda stories, they're so ridiculous you cannot block and you think it's a comedy. And what we've seen in 2020 was near perfect propaganda except they made one mistake because they were hitting the globe the whole world 
They couldn't designate an enemy. And propaganda absolutely needs a designated enemy to work because you have to tax every single part of the brain. All your brain space has to be overwhelmed. It has to be sensory overload. And you have to pin it on a target. Well, they couldn't do it like this. So they sort of didn't. They tried. Uh, so some factions tried to say there was a certain country responsible they didn't take. And that's what gave enough brain space for people to start, for many people to say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. So by the near, near perfection, I'm not saying it wasn't uh, effective. It was probably one of the most effective uh, campaigns ever waged on a global scale. The problem is it was flawed and it altered people's brains. So people who could keep themselves together, who weren't afraid, uh, who didn't believe the narrative, who had logic, they weren't on a, they were not only unaffected, it strengthened their brain. It made them more harmonized. They go, wait a minute, that's propaganda. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. They started questioning other things. So it wasn't just this that they started questioning. They started questioning everything. And instead of being de uh, devastated, you see the whole people, bunch of people rally and say, this is wrong. And as I said, the backside is so many people's lives were forever destroyed and they're never going to be the same. But for a group of people where it wasn't effective, their time is now. They're just starting to, you know, do things, uh, try different things, think differently. So we're having this cleave of people who fell for it and the group of people who said, no, I'm not going to fall for it. So it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Remember what the motto was. We're all in this together. And it turned out, no, we're not. So how has the like the propaganda narrative and push of the last, say, two years been maybe different and less effective than, than like the early 2000s post 9-11 propaganda machine? They're, they're really, um, at least for you know, at least for about four years or so, really effectively steamrolled this country, if not the world? Well, uh, that propaganda was amazingly effective for the simple reason is you had a single village and you had an identifiable group. So people were focused on this group. That's your actual misdirection. So when you say this person's to blame, whether it is real or perceived, Everybody focuses on that person so much they fail to see other things around. They don't look for other information. Here, it was effective because it was something very evolutionary. We're talking about a plague icon. So that's something that was very scary. But the problem was that was made into the enemy. And you can't see it. It doesn't have a face. It doesn't have a name. So when you leave people enough brain space to think, a lot of people start to use it. So that's the big difference. If it was to be perfectly effective, they would have had to blame a person or group for what happened in 2020. Uh, it didn't happen. And that was its fatal flaw. And while we're seeing the trajectory of uh, uh, different things happening, because what was supposed to happen was maintain unipolarity. And now we're seeing a breakaway into things that you couldn't have possibly have foreseen it happen. So people's brains were altered, but not altered equal. So um, 
to kind of piggyback off of the 2001, uh, you know, post 9-11, there has been questioning of that over, I'd say over the last 10 years, really. Uh, where did the the narrative and the propaganda for that start to kind of deteriorate that that people did at some point start to question that and and look more closely at what was actually going on well it, your brain doesn't get triggered forever so it's a barrage 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 but then you get further and further away from the tragic so you don't have that stimulus you can sort of pull yourself together and you start noticing things and propaganda does something else that makes it a very, at the end, very poor form of communication. It makes big promises. You make all these sacrifices. You give up your liberties. You give up your rights. And paradise will be yours. Well, you come to see that there's no paradise. You've lost a lot of rights, your freedoms. Uh, your life has changed. You follow dutifully and you, it, to the script. And you did it. And not... Not only did the, the good things not come, a lot more bad things came. So it's as a short shelf life. Eventually, the propaganda wears off. One or two things can happen. Uh, you can't sustain the propaganda anymore, so people cool down. Or if your people are relentless, there's something in psychology called flooding. If you're flooded with fear stimulus, sooner or later you see you're still standing. Life goes on, and you cease to be afraid. So. Flooding is a lot of times the way they treat phobias. And this is what happens. So one or two things happen. And in both cases, eventually, propaganda wears itself out. It burns out. It's not, uh, it's not a smart way to do it because we only use it if there's a scandal of incompetency that needs to be covered up so that people don't see. And war is the ultimate form of misdirection. So you're so scared, you're so afraid, you don't see what's happening around you or what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, that, that's interesting. One of the things that we were sort of pointing out in real time during this whole crazy COVID fiasco of the last couple of years was just how <laughs> we were watching the narratives just sort of crumble one after another in real time. You know, it was like first Fauci comes out and says, Oh, masks don't work. Don't worry about wearing masks. And then, you know, a week after that, he has to change his mind on that and say, no, you should be wearing masks. And, and then after that, it was like uh, 15, you know, 15 days to flatten the curve. And then it was, uh, you know, we just kind of kept going from there. And it was social distancing and wipe down your groceries and all that stuff. And then, you know, as time went on, we, we kept realizing it was like, oh, this wasn't true. That wasn't true. As more and more data came out, that wasn't true. And then it was the vaccines. And if you get the vaccine, you can't, you know, you can't get it or transmit it. And then that turned out to be complete bullshit. Yes. And it was fascinating to just sort of watch these people looking to their, you know, their messiahs in government to tell them what to do. And no sooner do they get done telling them to do that, than all of the data comes out to counteract it and, and basically be faced with the fact that everything they were doing up until that point was wrong. And, and just watching people try to, to sort of make sense of that, more and more people, I, I think over time, were just like, okay, they've been wrong about everything up, the, up to this point. I'm going to stop listening to them. But then there's like a whole host of other people that are still to this day, like 
<laughs> waiting with bated breath to hear what Anthony Fauci is going to tell them to do when they're still wearing their masks outside and doing all of these retarded things. But it was just, it was very fascinating to watch them jump from one narrative to the next. And as soon as that one fell apart, they had another retarded narrative just sort of at the ready to get, to get people to do things. But with each passing week and each passing month and each failed narrative, the, the, the story just got more and more ridiculous and harder for them to keep it together. Like it was just busting at the seams. This whole thing, this whole, like the, the biggest propaganda campaign I've ever seen in my entire life. It was just, just crumbling down all around us and, and they just couldn't hold it together any longer. It did become because people, because we didn't have an enemy, people slotted their own enemy. So they were the good guy. They were the hero. Somebody they didn't like for whatever reason uh, became the bad guy. And then this was, okay, I'm better than you. I'm one, you're zero. But it wasn't the zero. We didn't have all the same zeros. And then people became, became part, it became a fact. I, when that first happened, I said, this reminds me so much of, uh, you know, a, a carnival ride, you know, this experience where you're interacting. It was like a summer movie people could interact with. So that, even that was another flaw. It became too much fun for some people. You could stay at home for two weeks. You could do certain things. We were all in this together. Isn't this fun? Uh, and that's not what you're supposed to be scared. And then people sort of went on, uh, had their own villains, had all their other stuff. So they kind of lost part of the narrative. And then people had time to think, uh, this is a fashion statement. This is my label. This is my little sticker in my sticker book that I've done this. I've done that. That's not what propaganda is. You're not supposed to think about yourself. You're supposed to think uh, about somebody else. So. There were so many things wrong with, I mean, devastatingly effective, yes. But there were so many goofy errors because of this. So imagine in five years' time, this is going to be like, uh, you know, big hair in the 80s or leg warmers or disco, where the total opposite happens where it's like, you're not still into that. That's so, you know, passe, you know, and that's so 2020. And that's what's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be... Uh, people are going to be very, I look sillier and sillier as time goes on because there were so many ridiculous qualities about this. You know, you had stickers on the floor. Well, the virus will get you if you walk this way. But if you walk the other way, it's not going to get you. I mean, you know, when you saw people, you know, they would wear a mask and it's like, can, did you ever try blowing through it? The air comes in here. It's like, it will come in. Do you understand what a, mi what a virus is? It's microscopic. That space between, the gap between your face and the mask is like saying, I wonder if I can fit my car between here and Columbia. I mean, this is, we didn't know, people don't understand the science. So they got all scared. And then they interpreted it the way they kind of understood. And that's not what you want. It, people liked it because it was sort of fashionable. And because you couldn't go on vacation. What are you going to brag about? If you couldn't go on vacation because you would stay at home, you had to brag about something. So this is what people started to brag about. And they could gossip about each other. Well, did you see hers? Uh, her mask, she, you know, she didn't have a good hand sanitizer. Something bad's going to happen to her. That's what happened. It became, uh, 
it just got off the, you know, off the handle in so many ways that people were supposed to all, uh, you know, defer to an authority and not think that they were smarter than the authority. So we are going to see, as time progresses, this becoming more and more considered a comedy. The problem is that there's been, you know, people who've lost their jobs, lost their livelihoods. They became homeless. They became destitute. You know, you know, our, one thing that struck me was in December of 2020, how many people were saying, well, I'm so glad I don't have to see my family for the holidays. And they said this in the media or in social media. And they hurt people's feelings. So there were families quietly torn apart. There were people's feelings that were hurt. And that is not easy to overcome. I mean, that fact, and it, that's all it was, was a fact. The ramifications will have profound effects. There will be a lot of young people who will be afraid to take risks because of this. Uh, their education was sort of off the rails in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of rites of passage. Uh, people will never get back. And they will feel lost. And a lot of traditions got lost. They kind of binded people to other people or from the past to the future. So we've seen a lot. This made a mess of, uh, of life in so many ways. But that's because it was flawed propaganda. If it was perfectly aligned, we would have had a very different outcome. Instead, it became a mess. And then you saw people trying to fix that mess and fix that mess and fix that mess. And it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And that's why we're seeing 2022 in a completely different way, uh, you know, than what we should have had. And it was, it's going to be, for some people, uh, their rise. And for some people, it's going to be their fault. It's just it's not going to be the people it would have been normal. Yeah. And I remember in a lot of ways, like having this mysterious virus that's all around us. You can't see it. It could be anywhere. It's in the air. You don't know who has it. They might be contagious. They might not. They might have symptoms. They might not. And it's just sort of around us in the ether. Really freaked a lot of people out and just sort of broke their brains. And, you know, I always thought that that would have, that makes a great sort of, um, like a great boogeyman because you never, you, you can't see it and it's really hard to defend yourself against it. But I think, but, but what you're saying in your, your books is that you need to have, uh, something concrete, some an enemy that you can point to, and, and so in that sense, the virus didn't really work, and we saw this, th you know, we saw this sort of morph into uh, we're not really going after the virus as much as we're going after the people that aren't abiding by the accepted protocols. You know, you're not wearing your mask now, you're the enemy. Oh, you're going outside, you're the enemy. You, you want to go see and hug your grandma. <laughs> like you're, you're the enemy that we're going to go after right now. The anti-vaxxers. People that are, that, that are just hell-bent on liberty. They don't care who they kill with COVID. And now that you sort of have laid it out for me so succinctly, it just it makes perfect sense. And I always I was always wondering, I was like, why are they getting so mad at these people that are just going around living their lives like normal human beings? When you know, when you should be mad at at what in my mind, obviously the politicians who are taking away your basic liberties, but like at, at the very least, you should just be more concerned with the virus than you are with 
demonizing a, a group of people and, and saying that they don't deserve health care. Like they don't, they can't go, can't get a hospital bed because you're flaunting the the COVID protocol and things like. Like we we just saw crazy animosity towards people that became the enemy because they weren't going along with the COVID regime. Yes, you need a specific group of people. You need a specific leader. And why COVID? It wasn't just the you know uh, evolutionary drive of a plague. We have people have lost trust in politicians, uh, and they lost and uh, in journalism. The one group of people that still had authority were people in lab coats, were the doctors. So this was you know a very they were a Trojan horse in many ways. People in the medical profession, and then when this comes up, people start losing faith in that. So. What's going to happen is everything is going to change because all our pillars have, uh, you know, get, got taken hits because of this. So it's not like something that happens right away. Sometimes people's feelings well up, well up, and then they explode. So this is what we're seeing now. People starting to question everything. So that's why you see, you know, uh, Bitcoin took off because current, let's do our own currency. We're seeing people wanting to homeschool their kids more. So we're seeing different people, you know, people starting to go, we can choose for ourselves. We can make our own uh, news product. We can make our own currency. So this is what we're starting to see. People saying, hey, you know, I don't have to, uh, I can do it myself. So this is the beginnings of a new era where we're seeing people go, you know, I'm going to try. They're willing to take a risk. They're willing to make mistakes. And this is when we see innovation and a visionary thing. So you are seeing the beginnings, and it's a you know reactionary. There are people trying to pull back, but people moving forward. So you know, 2020 did something else. It made people who didn't think they were rebels or brave find out that they're rebels, that they're brave, that they're smart, that they're innovative. So we have a group of people now going off doing podcasts. They're doing their own newsletters and media outlets. And then you would have never thought these would be people who do it. And they do it, and they do it wonderfully. And all of a sudden, you have different things to watch. You have different things to read. And it's exciting. You have the legacy, which is not exciting. And they're losing in the comparison. That's why you see so many media articles. Well, you know, all this independent you know, journalism is bad. Why? Because they have a better uh, readership or a circulation or an audience than you. And they're not, you know, they're not afraid to be themselves. They're not afraid to ask questions and try new things. So, you know, when you're constantly fear-mongering, and this is another problem with propaganda, you become a real downer. And when you have people who are opposing it, they're a lot of fun. So, you know, people are living up and they're doing things, and they're doing things from their own house. They're doing things from their own bedroom or their own basement that's so much better. I can say I can see uh, factual journalism now. I'm starting to see empirical journalism now, and it does my heart good because in 2018 I wrote a book called "When Journalism Was a Thing About the Death of Journalism." Well, uh, it came back, and it came back grassroots. So this is something that's absolutely uh, a good thing. So uh, you know we can look at the bad things that happen, but we can also be positive and say there's a lot of good things happening right now. That never would have happened before because people got awake and those people got awake and started doing fantastic things. 
that's interesting because that's that's actually something that Johnny and I were talking about earlier today was the the alternate forms of media, substacks and podcasts and and some of the uh, lesser known news uh, like news sites and stuff like that that are starting to really gain traction as you see like the legacy media, the mainstream, like CNN. Like CNN is currently in uh, a huge downswing and, and firing people left and right, and the CNN Plus thing crashed and burned before it even had a chance to really get off the ground. Uh, and you're seeing similar things happening at the other ones, not not as pronounced as it is with CNN, but you know that that is kind of an interesting thing that, that we're seeing unfold here. Uh, it's been going on to some extent throughout the entirety of the Trump, uh, the Trump presidency, I think, but really over the last year and a half, it's, it's become really pronounced and, and you're starting to, to see it really pick up steam. Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Lorenzotti Coffee. You know them well by now. They're our oldest and longest running sponsor. We love these guys. We love their premium Italian coffee that they deliver right to your door. So do yourself a favor. Get your mornings started right with the taste of freedom. Go to Lorenzotti.coffee and use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you. And you'll get 10% off your order. That's Lorenzotti, L-O-R-E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee, promo code FICTION. Get all of your coffee and coffee supplies from these guys. And not only are they fans of the show, but they've gone above and beyond the call of duty as a sponsor. So go order some coffee, order an espresso machine, get a coffee grinder, do it all at Lorenzotti.coffee, promo code FICTION. All right. And, and it's something that is unprecedented. I mean, we don't see such a, I would say, a quiet revolution and such a dignified one where you have people who say, I can do this, I can do this better, and they do. And I think that's one of the most uh, remarkable things about a post-2020 world is that you have people who uh, don't have a journalism degree or they don't have a journalism background. They come from all sorts of, you know, from finance to legal to whatever. And they say, I'm going to do this. I know things. And they, and you learn from them. So, you know, once upon a time, you wouldn't have that kind of diversity, that kind of uh, plurality, that kind of texture. Because journalism, as I found out, working as a journalist, was all about fit. If it didn't fit the publication, they had no interest. So you did so many, there was gatekeeping. Uh, if you didn't uh, fit into this, you weren't to be seen as newsworthy. What would happen is they would ignore you. So people, people always thought what they thought. And I think this is the biggest shock for people in power. They think if they can censor people, and all this, that they'll, they'll change their mind. They won't think it. No. Media until the internet was a one-way form of communication. So people always had those thoughts. They had no way of expressing it to the public. When the internet came, finally people could say their piece. And when you speak and you go to public, people give you feedback. You get more ideas. So this is what happened. I mean, people talk about censorship. It won't change a thing. Because people thought that before they had a voice uh, in broadcasting like this, where anybody can have a media empire. And I think that is one of the most wonderful things. Uh, people talk about bad things about, uh, you know, social media and the Internet. One good thing is you get humbled. 
because you see, you think something all your life is a certain way because you were never exposed to other points of view. Here, all of a sudden, I never thought of that. That's brilliant. How many times I will watch something or read something thanks to your post-2020 world ago? That's brilliant. That person has insight. And I would have never been able to have come across it because my reality, my experience, we did not allow it. Now I can see, I can hear, and I can study it, and I can incorporate it into my own ideas and beliefs thanks to that. And that's not what people in charge wanted. They wanted to be a one and everybody else to be a zero. And we all defer and uh, look up to them and not think that we have anything to contribute. And, of course, people have to contribute. You can't tell me 8 billion people and nobody has anything to contribute. We all have something to contribute. We all have worth and value, and that's what people have to fight for. And propaganda tries to tell you nobody else has value and you don't have value. And that's another sign of propaganda. If you feel like you have no value, first red flag, you're being played. But that was an interesting thing, talking about the kind of uh, critiquing other people or, or claiming that people don't have value. That uh, was a big part of the propaganda scheme of, of COVID was the people, if you presented anything that went against the corporately approved narrative, people would say, well, you're not a scientist. You can't research that on your own. Like I, I'm capable of doing some basic research and reading case studies and gleaning information off of the uh, research that other people have done and, and coming to reasonable conclusions. Like maybe you aren't capable of doing that, but I, I'm, I've done a little bit of that. Like I think I can. Uh, that was, that was something that was really interesting because like people who I guess I had always assumed were relatively smart and critical thinkers, like suddenly just became completely engulfed in, well, you're not a, uh, whatever, uh, virologist or something like that. Like you, you can't know that I'm, I'm capable of, of doing research projects. In fact, we did research together where you had to go find sources and stuff and, and present information on things. Like, I know you're also capable of doing this. So that was a, an interesting thing. Um, how do they, on the topic of propaganda, how does propaganda manage to so effectively turn large portions of people, um, almost turn like a part of their brain that had previously worked completely off? Because that's what it seems like happens. Like they, they knew how to do this at one point, and now they've been completely propagandized into just believing that they can't do it anymore or, or not even believing the truth that they that they have experienced like in their own lives previously. Because propaganda hits your prefrontal cortex. There's something called sensory overload. So there was a Canadian psychologist a long time ago called Donald Hebb. And Donald Hebb was talking about people. It's like deers in the headlights. It gets the brains get so overtaxed they can't jump out to save their lives. There were, uh, you know, witch doctors putting curses on people saying, you're going to die in an hour. Perfectly healthy person drops dead within an hour. This is how suggestible a brain can be under the condition of fear. So what propaganda does, it sucker punches you. So you're just doing your own thing. You're living your own mundane life. Propaganda comes, sweeps in, and has to hit everybody, whether you're educated or not, male, female, young or old, you have to be hit equally. 
no challenge. There is a big threat, and it's usually an evolutionary threat. The threat to your life uh, through illness, uh, through violence, or nuclear war, or what have you. And and you're screwing and running. It's like somebody screaming fire in the theater. That's what propaganda is. And so they hit you, and usually they'll say, this enemy is out to get us. This enemy is going to kill us. They're going to kill our children, prevent us from reproducing. They're going to take our territory. They're going to take our resources, and it's over. So people start to panic. So they lose their memory. So they can't remember what life was before. Now, this hits women worse than men, the memory. The second thing that hits is your, in your prefrontal cortex is your ability to be rational and think. So your logic gets, your neurons fire so much. It's not any different than post-traumatic stress. It's a trauma. So this trauma hits you. And in phobia studies, we know it doesn't matter if you've been exposed directly. Let's say you've been bitten by a dog. You watch somebody get bitten by a dog or you read about somebody getting bitten by a dog. Once you start getting a phobic reaction, it increases, increases, increases. So you become more and more stressed. Because stress doesn't go away. There's always a residue. So you get hit, you get hit, and propaganda is relentless. And think about 2020. You couldn't go to the store without signage. You couldn't go to the park without signage. It was on social media. It was on the news. It was everywhere. I, you know, I bet you, no other time in our life did we have advertising billboards with this message. You had 20 signs on a grocery store. Stores were closed. Your habits, your routines were changed. So this wiped the slate for a lot of people not to even remember what life was like in 2019. Brain gets altered. Brain uh, starts to panic. When you're panicked, you remember things differently. And they used loaded language. So we've had experiments where people watched the same car accident at the same speed. People were asked how fast the cars were going. When they crashed, they'll say it went faster than the people who were asked how fast were the cars going when they collided. So words change what we remember. So if we said, did you see a gun? People might say, no, I didn't see one. Did you see the gun? They'll say, yeah, I saw it even if there wasn't a gun. False memories. All it takes is one doctored picture and 45 words of narrative to alter your memory. So this is what propaganda does. It alters your memory, alters your thinking, alters your brain all at once, makes you terrified, out of the blue, and the other side has planned this for months or years, and you were just had no plan. You were paying your bills, taking your kids to school, uh, wondering what you were going to have for supper. Well, somebody else goes, okay, we made a mistake. We can't uh, let people know we made a mistake. Let's scare them. Let's ruin their lives so, you know, we can stay in power, even though if they knew what happened, they would vote us out really fast. So that's propaganda. It manipulates the brain. And there's other forms. There's gaslighting. There's nudging. So there's different levels of propaganda, all meant to mess with your brain as much as your mind, to mess with your memories and your logic and your emotions 
and your ability to rely on your survival skills that you're born with. Is there something psychologically that can be like distinctively pointed out for people who react differently? Uh, so, for instance, somebody yells fire in a theater and the overwhelming majority of the people jump up and rush the doors and trample each other. Uh, I'm usually the kind of person that when something crazy like that happens, I stop, I slow down, I assess the situation, I, I look at my surroundings and try to figure out, like, think critically. Um, is there anything that's like, because you have looked at the psychology of this stuff, is there something that differentiates the the mass from those, you know, those rare exceptions of the people who, when that stuff hits them, instead of the the really uh, visceral reaction, they like go in the opposite and and stop and and start to uh, think more critically. There is ways. That is a sign of a harmonized brain. So your three core literacies are working together. So if you're the panic and you're not panicked, congratulations, your brain is harmonized. And there's ways, if that's not natural to you, to harmonize your own brain. And it takes exercise. So the first thing is to prevent yourself from getting emotionally uh, frazzled. Always have a sense of humor. So when something bad happens, crack a joke. Use humor. If you make it funny, it's less scary. So people who have a very good sense of humor tend to be very relaxed, more calm, because they see this humor in the situation, which means they see a solution. For people, uh, analytically, their analytical part, instead of falling for sophistry, we use logic or what I call skepticism. So if you're like, okay, someone says, we're all going to die. Okay, that's proven. So if you're skeptical and you're contrarian that way, you go prove it. I want evidence. I want facts. People who like facts, people who look for information, they're ahead. And your primal self, uh, if you're stubborn, if you're contrarian, you know, that's the biggest help. So if everybody goes, let's, you know, uh, wear a, a, you know, a colorful floral shirt today. And you go, no, I'm not going to wear a colorful floral shirt. That's silly. If you're contrarian, so they can scream fire and you go, water. You know, you just don't, you just go the opposite. So if you get those three things in play, propaganda is always silly. So I find most propaganda funny. That what's not funny is the consequences of people who are not harmonized or they don't use all their three core literacies. There's some people I call rogue binary. They're always on one and zero. They don't have emotional literacy. They don't have primal literacy. They try to be a one. That means by default, if somebody's different, they have to be a zero. Those people will always fall for propaganda. So once you start going, I'm using all of my brain, I'm going to relax. I'm going to be contrarian. I'm going to be skeptical. And I'm going to be silly, snarky, funny. I'm going to use my sense of humor. And if people go, go, that's offensive. Okay, that's a check mark for today. I'm offensive. I don't care. Uh, I find it funny. Uh, my humor might be different than yours. And if you're offended uh, at me, I'm offended at you. And we're at an offended draw. And you're going to have to deal with it. So if you uh, have confidence in your ability to do those three things, propaganda doesn't work. That's why I said propaganda is very complicated. If you remember the Indiana Jones movie, there's the ninja. 
all those moves, and Indy has a gun. Are you okay? Don't don't die on us. <laughs> we haven't finished talking about propaganda yet. Um, no, take your time. Take your time. And uh, that that is a great scene in Indiana Jones, by the way, where the guy's just hopping around doing all these uh, weird, uh, crazy sword moves, and then Indiana Jones just pulls out his gun and, and shoots the guy. But I, I would have to agree. I, I'm just sort of, I think by nature, I've always been contrarian. My initial gut instinct every time there's a fad or some or a trend that people are on board with, I'm always like, ah, fuck that. Ah, that, that looks stupid. Like, and it, uh, every once in a while, I, I might be wrong initially about something, and it, it turns out to be something that I kind of enjoy. <laughs> but more often than not, it's always something terrible and stupid. And my initial instinct is sort of just go the other way, a- away from the herd. And that has led me down this path toward anarcho-capitalism, obviously, but it's it's also just a great sort of um, safeguard against government, against propaganda, because the, the second you hear something and you see all of these just like bobblehead lemmings going along with it, just like a bunch of seals clapping their hands, you, you look around and you're just like, oh, wow, I don't want to be one of those things. So I'm going to question this. I'm not just going to take this politician at face value or this news story at face value i'm going to look into this a little bit i'm going to think about this for myself which uh, there's way too little of that going on lately and that's why you know one of the reasons why i didn't get caught up in the covid hysteria like immediately I i was just thinking that this was complete bullshit and there was no way i was going to lock down and sacrifice years of my life for this, um, at least to me, blatantly obvious exaggeration of the situation, like this hysteria. I'm so sorry. That's okay. You're fine. Um. Yeah. What happens? You learn, and that's the nice thing about this. You learn. People who are teaching what happens is they get they learn to get scaffold. Because with propaganda, once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's the trick. You learn you survived this. You'll survive other things. And that's why it's so important to be aware of other cases of propaganda, not things that just hit you. It's important to question where did this come from? Where did this come from? Oh my goodness, information I have learned, I did, with propaganda. You learn to spot, because it's, it's the same. Bad guy, you're helpless, you have to listen to the authority. Sooner or later, it does come in there and you go, ah, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me 20 times. You start learning to lose respect for people who you use it and you start feeling sorry for them. If that's how you rule. And then you start thinking, why am I listening to somebody who always puts me down? And that's what propaganda is. It always puts people down. You are a lesser being. And sooner or later you say, uh-uh. And you learn. You learn the scaffolding. People can learn patterns. Propaganda is a predictable pattern. That's all. And there's, you know, the studies show 
we do eventually learn and uh, become inoculated. But what we need to do, twofold, in media literacy, propaganda literacy for younger people, so they don't fall for this the way other people fell in 2020, in media literacy, where we have a different kind of journalism that uses empirical standards, therapeutic standards, and that we say, okay, we're not going to frighten people. We're not going to put them down. We'll tell them what it is. If something's bad, we say, okay, natural disaster's coming. But instead of saying to people, run and hide, here's the things that we need to do to prevent a problem. So if we have information on how to fix things, instead of relying on someone else to do the fixing for us, that's the kind of journalism we need. And this is why I really admire people who have their own podcasts, who have their own sub-stacks, because they said, I can, I'm going to fix journalism myself. My little corner, I'm going to fix. They don't become just uh, news producers. They become role models. So you don't realize right now, there are people watching, very young people, and they're going, that's what I want to do. I want to take that to the next level. I want to be the person that says to people, okay, we're being fooled. But, you know, this is how we're being fooled. So every outlet, independent outlet, citizen journalist, independent investigative reporter, who's doing that? is showing other people how to do it too. So you don't have to be competitive. Imagine how far we would get in society if journalists did that. Hey, we have a problem. How are we gonna solve our finances? How are we gonna solve our healthcare in a way that we don't make uh, you know, these few uh, rich people even richer, where we all benefit and we can find our own way. Even if we don't all benefit, that we don't get harmed or uh, you know thrown away or discarded, that we could have progressed so much more than what we have because we're constantly under threat. People saying we're going to give you this kernel. You know what's the election campaign? Uh, you know politicians bribing taxpayers with their own money, and that's what we have gotten used to. We got used to that, thinking that's the only way. And there's a whole bunch of different ways. We have not even begun. We haven't even started. When I started looking at journalism, I had no idea I was going to come up with something called therapeutic journalism. I had no idea that I could have an empirical journalism where you can do different kinds of journalism. We have one kind of journalism, basically, and that's it. And that's how can you have, you know, you know decades of a profession where there's no progress. They've always done it the same. And that's what I mean. And they still do it the same. There's no growth. There's no change. There's no evolution. So how good can this be? You know, can you imagine if we were all the same way we were at two years old? I mean, we had the same skills, the same knowledge, and we're not. That, that wouldn't be much of a life. This is a profession that has been stuck and confined and held back. And finally, people had enough. I'm not getting informed by legacy media. I'm going to do. And they did. This is why we had a turnaround. This is why we had a breakthrough. This is why we had an internet war, the freedom convoy. For the simple reason, people said, I'm taking this in my own hands. I'm not going to just listen to an authority blindly and do things that I know is wrong and it's making me look ridiculous. How do you look at yourself in the mirror unless you say, I challenge this? So that's why I say the three core literacies.
if you say, uh, I am contrarian, uh, I have a sense of humor, and I'm skeptical, it's funny how propaganda just doesn't work, and that's what we need to concentrate on. So the creative stagnation, that, so the creative stagnation kind of that you're talking about with journalism, where it's it's been done for a very long time and effectively the same way, like we see that throughout a lot of technology and culture where um, at some point over the last maybe 50 to 30 to 50 years, um, a lot of a lot of society and a lot of technology has just kind of stalled. And now you get uh, you get variations of the same thing, but you don't really get any forward progress. Um, so with kind of the post, I don't know if you want to call it prop- propaganda era that we've seen over the last 20 years, but I mean, it, it has seemed like it's been pretty, pretty on the forefront, uh, the propaganda in journalism, especially now that we're starting to see some, some more innovation and things coming through that. Do you think that could be a, a telltale marker for other, uh, sectors of society that that maybe we're starting to move out of some of that stagnation stage or or do you think maybe we're we're uh maybe i'm jumping the gun a little on that this is the beginnings i mean this is where we're here 1.0 we're now we're saying okay we're questioning money first time we're questioning what does money mean so we're seeing that now we're seeing people say what does education mean so we're starting to see where it goes to, okay, what does politics mean? What does government mean? What does corporations mean? What does the stock market mean? When people start asking different questions of different sectors, that's when innovation happens. When we say, well, what does this mean? And, you know, you, you hear, like, in people talking about misinformation and disinformation. Okay, what does it mean? Empirically define this term to me, and they can't do it. So you say, okay, you don't know any more than I do. And I don't like it. So I'm going to go off on my own and I'm going to create my own thing. And this is what we're starting to see. Journalism became the first sort of ground zero of rebuilding. So we're seeing all sorts of different ways. So how we work. Now people don't want to, you know, they worked at a home. They said, we'll come back to the office. And people say, I don't want to come back to the office. So how we work will change. Everything will change because of this. So instead of we're all in this together, it's going to eventually be we all do our own thing. And this is what, you know, we're talking about a different system. We're having people duke it out for supremacy, but they need people to believe in it. And we don't have that faith. The goodwill got wasted because people were promised, if you stayed home for two weeks, we're going to solve the problem. Well, if you wear a mask, it's going to solve the problem. Well, if you get a vaccine, well, if you get the boost. If you do this, if you do that, the goalposts kept getting moved and moved and moved. And people said, like, finally said, okay, I'm, I'm getting off this uh, station now. This is it for me. And a lot of people can't admit it publicly, but their habits have changed privately. So people walk away. They might not say it loudly, but you're seeing that change of people going, well, what was this all for? What was the last two years all about? You know? And what was it all about? We still don't really know. And, you know, people talking about a great reset. Uh, it's going to be, you know, a whole bunch of people going off and doing their own thing. <clears throat> from how we see currency, from how we see countries, how we r- rule ourselves to how we solve things in courts and stuff, that's all going to have to change. Because if one thing goes, 
it all goes. If you don't believe in a single right answer for everybody, things change. And that's what happened. You know, people go, well, I don't want this. And people, well, you have to. But it doesn't work for me. Well, you have to. Well, you obviously don't care about my, that's in a violation of emotional rights. We don't even care about my feelings. You don't care uh, about my well-being. And then you start moving away. You start drifting away. All of a sudden, you meet other people who have are in the same boat. You form a bond. It changes. So this propaganda was not supposed to make people who never knew each other form different bonds. It uh, was the most successful disaster ever, you know, thrown at people. And that's how I like in 2020. It is the most successful disaster. And it just gets away from the people who put it. It gets away from them. It gets away. And it gets worse and worse and worse. Where you know they're threatening nuclear war. It's like, well, then who would you brag to if you dropped the bomb? I don't believe you in that one either. So you just, you know, start people. Uh-uh. I, I don't care. I'm going to live my life to the fullest because life is short and life is fleeting. You know, a lot of people will not have tomorrow. Am I going to, and to the people wasted two years. You can't get those two years back. Think of all the things the people missed in two years because they were so effectively made frozen in fear. That is a tragedy. That is a crime against humanity. Of how many children have lost so much, their friends, their, uh, you know, their peace of mind. Somebody has to answer for that. And eventually they will but not necessarily in some sort of violent manner, because what you're seeing now is the rise of people who have sensitivity, but they're, they're, they're very tough. They're just saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm building up my own world. You do what you want. Goodbye. And that's what's what independent media is all about. We say, I'm going to find my own audience. I'm going to make my own product, and I'm not going to be uh, ever be mentioned on in this legacy product or not in a positive way, and I don't care. And that's not what was this campaign was all about. And can you tell us a little bit about your process of getting these books written and getting them published? Because you're not, you know, you're speaking on a lot of taboo topics here. And I got to imagine it, it's not, it's no picnic to get somebody to pick up the, these books and publish them for you. Have you run into any issues? Have you had to self-publish or are, are publishers open to your ideas and to your books and everything like that? How, do, how does this work? My, well, my first book was the hardest because when I, it was very much, uh, you know, that monolithic system. And I would have my book and propose my book. And they said, well, it's a great book, but it's, you know, it's not a problem in journalism. What do you mean hoaxes and lies are not a problem? I have all these case studies growing by the day. And uh, there was a company, it's no longer in business, called the Disinformation Company. And I gave that proposal, and uh, into, and uh, they said, yes, we'll publish it. So I was very grateful. I published it uh, with them. Uh, less than a month after I had put in my manuscript, they said, would you write another book? There's a documentary called The Fox. Would you like to write the companion book? And I said, yes. So since then, when I had that, I haven't had any problems. So I had another book published with zero books. And now I have a, I had another book published by another publisher. I don't have a problem now. This is not, um, it burns upon a time it was nearly impossible to write a book about propaganda or finding, uh, talking about the problems of journalism. Now I see it's much more open. 
and uh, you know, and it's really nice to see other books on propaganda and uh, very, very thoughtful books on journalism, uh, journalism criticism, media criticism that you never had before. So it's an opening market. Uh, I don't self-publish, so these are publishers in the U.S. and in the U.K. So you know, two different countries. So it's a different ballgame. I think the world is finally ready to talk about this in a meaningful way. It doesn't have to be all, you know, 8 billion people. But the fact is that there is a big enough market, enough people who want to see it, uh, that, yeah, it's a different it's a different story than it was before. I mean, we hear threats of, we hear about deplatforming from Twitter. But, you know, we don't know their numbers. We don't know a lot of things about Twitter. And they're alienating audiences. I mean, when you do that to, you know, uh, people in social media, you ban them. Well, you've left bad feelings not with them, but everybody who knew them or used their services. So we're going to see a new type of social media, and we're already seeing it. Uh, you know, once upon a time, you had big tech, and now it's going into more directions. So even that is changing, and I think it's absolutely fascinating where things are going. Every time there's resistance, you see people, you know, using ingenuity. Uh, to find a way around it. And I think we're going to see a few more rounds of that. But people who are stubborn tend to be stubborn for the long haul, and they have nothing to hide. And the people who are trying to stop it do. And that's the difference. One group is fighting not to lose, and the other group is fighting to win. And you always, you know, hedge your bets on the person fighting to win and not fighting not to lose. And that's the difference. Okay, and one of the goals that I sort of had when I when I started this podcast, because it did kind of come naturally to me to sort of spot the, these um, charlatans and these prop, propaganda artists. Uh, what's the best way? Like my my whole goal is to sort of inoculate people from particularly government propaganda because I think it's the most destructive and the most dangerous. What are some of the most effective ways to sort of counter? propaganda. I mean, you've done an incredible job of laying out how they go about propagandizing us. How do we fight this? I don't, well, you would, you would have to learn to, the, uh, well, you would make people happier, calmer, feel nicer to people. Uh, that helps a lot because, and you give them a choice and a genuine choice, not a forced choice. And you say, okay, you can go your way. I go mine. We can negotiate. That's, a better persuasion than propaganda, where you're scaring people and they're afraid. And if you're, you know, welcoming and you're warming and you uh, actually care about other people and you're, you know, you see their good points, you don't gloss over the bad and you're honest and truthful, uh, you make bigger. People will come to you. They go, okay, uh, you're going to tell me the way it is, aren't you? And you go, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you always care about other people. So when you're, more honest and blunt. If you tell, if you, you know, if you, if you lack a filter, people say that's a bad thing. No, it's not. If you're telling people what you feel and you go, okay, uh, I'm not happy with you. I don't like this. And some people throw a temper tantrum, which is their right. But if you're honest and you just explain things and you use facts and you're respectful of people and you understand they do have a brain, that's the, the best form of persuasion there is. Uh, and if people insult you, they go, well, uh, my self-esteem is not dependent on you insulting me or praising me. Eventually, people do come around, and they'll come around to seeing it. And if you're the role model and you show success for what you're doing, other people will take the lead. 
So it takes a little longer, but the results last longer. You leave a good feeling with people and you can inspire people. So how many times in your life so you looked up to somebody who showed you how to do something and you went and you followed in those footsteps? Maybe not exactly, but that stayed with you forever. That's the difference. Propaganda tries to usurp that power and we tend to forget we have to reestablish. So the answer is reestablishing who we are, what we want, what we need. I think that was a good time for people to recalibrate. What do you want to live? What do you need? How are you going to get it? And how are you going to serve uh, as a model without pandering to other people? Okay, I'm going to lead the way. This is what I'm going to do. And just do it, not afraid of being canceled, because that's not really a thing. These days, you know, they, they cancel a show. You put in a podcast, people will come. You know, we can't, you know, we can't, not everybody's going to like you, nor should you even try. And the answer is just be yourself and stand your ground. If you can stand your ground, that's more persuasive than if you try to pander to people or try to tell them what to think and how to think. I did think it was really interesting that you brought up the the fact that the propaganda has kind of brought people together that otherwise wouldn't have come together. I mean, that's kind of the story of me and Johnny getting to know each other over the last couple of years of, of a lot of the um, like the Twitter group chats and different podcasting communities and stuff that have kind of cropped up just because of all of this, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of random weirdos all across the country who otherwise probably never would have talked to each other have found a, a common, uh, theme to, to get together and talk about on a, you know, weekly and sometimes even daily basis and, and really kind of form very interesting and, tight-knit communities. I, I would honestly say that like Johnny and some of the others that I've gotten to know through all of this, they're as good, if not better friends um, as some of the people that I've known literally all my life. Migration usually is when innovation sparks. And we didn't have migration physically. We had migration through social media. That's why we're going to have so much more innovation because people who normally wouldn't have gotten together have all sorts of ideas. They come together, new ideas come. So, as I said, 2020 was a very effective disaster and it's actually uh, became fertile ground for all the things it was truth and trying truth and nail to prevent. So people became the ones who went up front were the stronger ones who were more together and who uh, were more calm and rational. You know, everybody was, you know, totally terrified of coming out of their house. And they're like, I'm not afraid. And, you know, I wasn't afraid. I I, I was uh, actually, you know, just finished up my, my book, Mind Under Siege, when it happened. And I'm going, I can recognize absolutely every sign, except there's no designated enemy. And that was when I knew. I said, this is flawed propaganda. And it was absolutely fascinating too. So if the COVID propaganda is flawed and we're, we've made it through this propaganda campaign, what, what do you think is going to be the next big propaganda campaign? Where's, where's the next big push going to come from? Where should we be looking? Which flank should we be trying to protect from these maniacs? Well, I think nuclear war is one. Another one is... Uh, you'll have no utilities. You'll have to uh, 
suffer, while uh, our people who run it be, uh, are become even richer than before. So it's they're trying to tell people, uh, you know, say skimp. Uh, you know, we have inflation, except all these grocery stores are making a killing. So people are starting to see it. And this is now what they're trying to scare people with. And they're running out of things. After nuclear war, what is it? Well, I've always stipulated that it's going to be climate change. That's where I see the next logical step here. They can use a lot of the things that they did during the COVID, the COVID hysteria and apply that to the climate change problem. And, and it's not, they're calling it a climate emergency. And people say, you know what? Uh, Mother Nature's stronger than us. She'll, she'll make a decision one way or another. And that's the same with nuclear war, you know? You know, world explodes at 10, details at 11. And people can just, you know, uh, laugh and joke about it. And it doesn't work. And what do you do when you have use your final card and sun still comes up tomorrow? Uh, they're running out of things to scare people. And there are now people who are now afraid of zero. They're not afraid of anything. And that's the problem for them now. There are people who go, whatever. Well, we're going to censor you. Fine. I'll find another outlet. I'm not afraid of you. And what do you do with people who have ideas, who are innovative, who are resilient, and they're not afraid of you? That's what I said. Fighting to win versus fighting not to lose. And this is where we are. So, you know, and the people managed to do things, lockdowns, and they started podcasts and substacks and businesses. When everything was standstill, people found new careers, new things. So they feel even more resilient. They feel brave. They feel ready for risk. Not what it was supposed to be. Okay, well, we're we're kind of running a little long here on time. We should probably get out of here pretty soon. I, I mean, I would love to keep talking about this. I think we could easily do two or three more shows on this topic. And if we had the time today and the attention span of our listeners, we could go for hours and hours. Um, I, I find this whole thing fascinating. But do you have anything to plug? Where can people find you? Well, let's do all of that. Okay, uh, I am on uh, LinkedIn. Alexandra Kitty. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I don't do a lot of social media these days. I don't have too much time. And if people, I just want to let people know, uh, some of my books tend to be pricey, but I always tell people, get your local library to get my book for you so that you, that you don't have to uh, bear the burden of the cost and uh, other people can read it as well. So Get your library to carry my books. That's what I, that's all I ask. If your library carries the book, uh, and you can read it from there, that's my recommendation. Okay, great. And as we've alluded to before, you have several books out. So is there a certain order we need to read these in? Or, you know, is there one book that we should start with? Or at least if we can only read one or two of your books, maybe because of the price point, which one should we read? Do you have any recommendations like that? Well, uh, if you want to know about propaganda, The Mine Under Siege, Mechanisms of War Propaganda, that's in paperback now and Kindle. Uh, if you are interested in spotting rumors, hoaxes, propaganda, and lies, my first book, Don't Believe It, How Lies Become News, uh, it still holds well. It's a consumer guide to evaluating the news. And uh, there's, if you are interested in being a news producer, there is a couple of options. You can uh, read from Cambridge Scholars, my first book with them, which is called A New Approach to Journalism, How to Do It Empirically. 
if you're more emotionally inclined, there's a, a book that came out this year from them as well called Therapeutic Journalism. So how do we heal people instead of harm them with information? So even if it's bad news, how do we present bad news in a way that we don't make any psychological damage to people and strengthen their minds and their brains and their spirits? Okay, and are there any audiobooks available? I'm a big audiobook guy. I like to throw on some headphones and go for a beach walk or something like that. Is there any of these books available on like Audible? Unfortunately, no. There are Kindle or a hardcover, and some are in paperback. Uh, I have not. Uh, I have not done it. I've only done one audiobook, not me, but it was a book on Sherlock Holmes in the theater. Somebody, I uh, did that. No, it's the only book I have in audio. But uh, uh, I'll have to look. All right, fine. I'll get the hard copy, and I guess I'll just have to read it poolside. <laughs> I think you said, I, I can't remember if this was on or off camera, but you're working on two more books. You have two more books that you're writing that are coming out relatively soon, right? Yes. Yes, I'm working on one. Uh, I can give you a, a sneak peek. Uh, it's another form of journalism, and I call it organic journalism. It uses the primal brain. The primal, uh, during times of war or chaos or natural disaster, how to think critically and present information, let's say in the middle of a war zone or there's some catastrophe from a mass shooting, how to do that and how to show people how to survive with information. So that's what I have, uh, I've just wrapped up now. So I think of different ways to present information because some of us use our analytical brain, some emotional, some primal. So I developed uh, forms of journalism that take into account people's uh, different ways of thinking. And because I embrace plurality, I love uh, different points of view. I welcome them. I learn from them and I get humbled by them. So I always think about other people. And that tells you I'm a youth-focused emotional thinker, but I like people who use their brains and they think, and they're not afraid to express their belief, even if some people throw temper tantrums because of it. All right. Excellent. Well, we'll have to keep an eye out for those. And I've got a lot of reading to do. This was so. This is probably the the best in, uh, interview I've done, at least from my perspective. I enjoyed it the most. Not to belittle my my previous uh, guest that we interviewed, but I just love this topic. I think you do a great job of explaining it. And I, I mean, I would love to have you on again because, like we said, you have like a dozen books, and we barely scratched the surface with this. I really enjoyed this conversation as well. I'd love to be back anytime. This is thrilling. Thank you so much. Uh, the pleasure was definitely all of ours, and we will get you back on as soon as we can. Thank you so very much for coming on, and take care. So, um, yeah, very, very interesting interview. I hope you guys enjoyed that, and it, it honestly was one of my favorite, um, one of the favorite interviews. I mean, we haven't done a ton of them on this show, but I think this topic in particular is not only very apropos to all the things that we talk about, but... Uh, I, I think she um, she does a really good job of sort of articulating what propaganda is and how it affects us and how we can counter it and overcome it. Justin, anything that you uh, anything you want to add? Any thoughts? No, nothing I can think of. Uh, this was this was probably one of my favorite interviews of 
probably of, even of all of them that like I've done, this was definitely interesting because I like the I like the topic of the the propaganda and and the way she ties it into the the cognitive stuff and and like the way your brain works and 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 even the social structures of like how people interact with each other. Like it's really really interesting. I, we we could have probably gone three hours on this and and not even covered half of it. Yeah yeah, we'll definitely have to have her on again. This is a it's a great topic, and she has a lot of different uh, books on it as well, and a lot of different books in general. She has like a dozen books or something. So we uh, we barely scratched the surface with, with this one. I'd love to have her on again, but enough is enough for one episode. Thank you all so very much for listening. Hopefully, you all enjoyed that. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. I will link to all of her um, her work and everything in the description if you want to check out her books and support her that way and if you guys can do all that for us we will be back with a brand new episode for you and until then you know the drill just keep on peddling that so-called fiction peace